0: This is The Guardian.
1: Tonight, a special update on a weekend of carnage in Israel and what might be coming next.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Saturday morning around 8am. About three miles from the fences and walls that separate Israel from the tiny Palestinian territory called the Gaza Strip, people were dancing. they'd been dancing all night, hundreds of them at a rave in the desert. And even though they were so close to one of the most dangerous borders in the world, there was barely any security. Nobody thought they needed it. Gaza is surrounded by barriers, patrolled overhead by drones. Hamas, the militant group that runs the area, were said to be more focused on building up Gaza's economy, which has been strangled by a 16-year Israeli siege, than fighting another war. And so, just three miles from the territory, people were dancing, unaware that those fences and walls were about to be breached. And fighters were coming, across the land and the sea, and even from the sky, to kill them and take them hostage. Videos show those festival-goers completely unaware, even as Hamas paragliders are slowly drifting towards them. So far from that music festival, at least 260 people are confirmed to have been killed. October 7 is going to be one of those dates that becomes part of Middle Eastern history. About a thousand Hamas fighters doing something so unthinkable that when it came, Israel took hours just to comprehend what was happening. Militants broke into Israel, overran military bases, kibbutzes, towns, went house to house killing families, shooting people waiting at bus stops, anyone they could find. They stole tanks and cars, managed to get halfway across Israel before turning back, taking more than a hundred hostages with them, the vast majority civilians. It was a breathtaking and brutal attack years in the making. And as of Monday afternoon, not over. There are still reports of gunfights in parts of southern Israel. Israeli jets have been bombing Gaza since Saturday afternoon. The military is massing at the border, preparing to enter Gaza. Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has vowed to reduce the territory to ruins. Civilians there have nowhere to go. They're not allowed out. In the past few days, Israel's cut off electricity to Gaza. Today, they said imports of anything else, including food and water, are banned. According to Gaza's health ministry, more than 500 people there are already dead. The next few days and weeks are going to be bloody and dangerous for the region and the world, and we're going to cover it deeply from on the ground, probably many times in the next few weeks. But today, alongside our usual episode in your feed every morning, we're posting this update tonight, making sense of what we know so far. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, how Hamas stunned Israel and what happens next. Peter Beaumont, you're a senior foreign correspondent with The Guardian, and in fact, our former Jerusalem correspondent. You've spent years in Israel and a lot of that time in Gaza. One of the things that I think Israelis, and actually everybody, is trying to make sense of since Saturday is that Gaza has been likened to an open-air prison. Its population is thought to be one of the most scrutinised, surveilled, and controlled people on earth. So how could Hamas possibly have done this?
3: I think the thing that that struck me covering Gaza over the last 20 years is that Hamas is it's not static in military terms you know, every round of fighting you see some adaptation. It learns from fighting with Israel in a way that perhaps Israel doesn't learn from fighting with Hamas. And part of that is the awareness in Hamas's leadership that they are incredibly heavily surveilled. They know what Israeli technology is capable of, they know they're listened into, they see the drones, they know what equipment. Israel can use against them. They know that people who are allowed to go in and out of Gaza are often pressed to become informers, and so they have developed ways of of maintaining operational security. And that's that's apparently what they've done. I mean, there are stories doing the rounds today that you know that this operation wasn't necessarily communicated to all of the senior members of the Hamas political bureau. That that people who are being trained in the fighting didn't know what their objectives were simply that they were training you know the the takeaway is there was this huge investment in in a solution which was a sort of heavily surveilled wall and all the eggs were put into that basket but if there's one other thing i'd want to say here is that Israel should have been aware of the vulnerability of relying on a wall. This isn't the first time that there has been a major breach of 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 a border structure. It's not hermetically sealed, and it never has been. And so given that,
1: given that this wall is not impermeable, where were the Israeli troops? Where was the IDF? How was Hamas able to get so far into Israel, facing Almost no resistance from one of the most powerful armies in the world.
3: I mean, you know, the security situation in Israel and the occupied territories at the moment is quite complicated. There's been a lot of unrest on the West Bank, some of it stirred by sort of extremist settler groups. And because of that, that has required quite a heavy deployment by the Israeli Defense Forces.
1: And the West Bank is the other large area where Palestinians live.
3: Yes, the other large Palestinian area, and and because of that, there's been quite a heavy deployment of of resources to to the West Bank. Did that deplete Israeli forces along the wall? I don't know, but it does feel as though there was an over reliance on 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 this security barrier. I mean, you know, it goes pretty deep into the ground. It's designed to kind of prevent Hamas tunneling underneath. It has ground motion sensors, there are cameras, I mean, but I mean, it, it, it feels as though somewhere in all of this, you know, both through the complacency of relying on this very, very expensive high tech barrier, um, and, and because of a wider complacency about what they thought that Hamas's capabilities were, the, the, the bull was dropped.
1: Peter, in Israel, the reaction so far has been shock and grief, and now this anger that just seems to be building with every hour. Take me through how Israel has reacted to these attacks since Saturday.
3: Obviously, on Saturday, we saw sort of the scramble to get sort of a coherent military response to this. And, you know, o- over the last sort of 36 to 48 hours, I mean, even though as of this morning, there were still reports of some Hamas infiltrations through the border. I mean, most of the locations that Hamas had overrun, uh, you know, are, have either been retaken or the process of being retaken so that's the initial response was to was to kind of stabilize the situation since that obviously there's been you know very large mobilization and a political decision has been made that that this will be framed not in terms of a round of fighting or an operation, but in terms of Israel at war, which has a psychological importance. I mean, aside from the familiar sights of kind of Israeli jets bombing targets inside Gaza, which we've seen so many times before, I mean, what's happened in the last sort of 24 hours is sort of a move to a much more total siege of Gaza. Even if you sort of wonder how that's possible, I mean, there's No food supplies going through the truck crossings, electricity being cut. The Israeli water supply that goes into Gaza being announced as being cut in the last couple of hours. Gaza is very, very heavily reliant on electricity for its its local water systems. And what we're seeing now is kind of a stream of heavy armour heading down towards all the mustering points that, They've mustered out so many times before on the Gaza border, waiting to go in. So what could that invasion, if it happens, be like? I mean, one of the big questions is whether one of the purposes of Saturday was to prompt Israel to enter the urban areas of Gaza.
1: Because they must have known that that would be the inevitable response, right?
3: They know that's the inevitable response. I mean, they are far from naive and, you know, they will have thought through what the Israeli response is going to be. To, to give you a picture, you know, for people who haven't been to Gaza of what it's like, it's small. Um, when when people talk about it, often they talk about it as being kind of an entirely dense urban area. It's not quite like that. The, the far north of Gaza, near the Erez Crossing, is... Um, There's lots of little farms up there before you start hitting um, the first industrial units and sort of towns on on the north-south road. So you have this area up in the north um, where there's essentially farmland that it's quite easy for tanks to operate. As soon as the Israelis get into the dense urban areas it gets much more difficult. I mean, you know, the Hamas and other fa- factions have pre-prepared positions. They have anti-tank guided missiles now. You know, they have the capacity to damage Israeli armour. Um, and, and it makes it a much more level playing field. This time around, Hamas don't just have those defences you're describing.
1: They have more than 100 Israeli hostages also scattered throughout the Gaza Strip. So, how do you think that will shape the way that Israel carries out whatever it has planned?
3: I don't know is the simple answer you know if you'd asked me that and the hostages were taken in a different context to this, I would have said that it would have shaped some caution in an Israeli response. but I think the full scale of the horror of what has happened um I think I mean, the the shock to to Israeli society is so great, you know. And I say that having spoken to to Israeli and Palestinian friends over the weekend. I mean, the shock is so great that the, the balance between, you, you know, maintaining the safety of those hostages and 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 the desire to push back at Hamas and pursue whatever the military objectives are, it's going to be quite a difficult call. I think it would be naive to say that, you know, because of the existence of them, that Israelis will necessarily, you know, take a softer approach. I'm not sure they will. I think that would be an error to think that. And I think with so very many dead and so much shock, I wonder whether that will mitigate the response. You raised this, but I want to come back to it. Whatever the
1: Israeli response is going to be, it's going to be incredibly destructive to Hamas, to its leadership, and to the civilians living in Gaza. So given all of that, and given that Hamas must have known something severe would happen in response,
3: what is their strategy? What was their plan for doing this? What is the objective beyond, you know, fighting the israeli defense forces in in urban areas of gaza i mean one of the problems with talking to sort of hamas leaders over the years is that they have this kind of rather cultish messianic view of of a long term of history in which you know a situation comes about where one way or another israel ceases to exist Hamas has gone into this with their eyes open they have triggered a conflict with you know a much more powerful neighbor with with the aim i think of 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 fighting them and, and inflicting as much damage on them as they possibly can and i think it, it's somewhere in the back of their mind they think that somehow if they do this that somehow it will energize support in the wider middle east i'm not convinced i mean you know generally the arab populations are very pro-palestinian they really are much more than their their leaderships and elites but at the same time i mean i think what they kind of want is it's it's in the history books now i'm not sure the what they think will happen will ever happen and i think that's you know for for all their technological capability and organisational skills that they've developed. That is the issue, is that there is also about Hamas a kind of brutal unreality about them. And that's what makes them so difficult to deal with.
1: Well, just this afternoon, Benjamin Netanyahu has reportedly told Joe Biden that he is planning a ground invasion of Gaza. So if that is Hamas's plan, it looks like it's working. But Peter, the people who are essentially collateral damage in all of this Or, of course, the civilians in Gaza, where 50% of the population are under 18, who have been ruled by Hamas for 16 years without getting a say in it now for decades. How do they survive something like a full-scale Israeli ground invasion?
3: I think the message that was coming through this weekend talking to people was just how very, very frightened people who often will have seen all this before. It wasn't as bad as this and bad as that. But, I mean... There is a real sense of fear coming out of Gaza at the moment. People are absolutely terrified about what's going to happen next. And I think part of that is simply not knowing how bad it could get. But I think that that people assume it will be very bad.
1: Coming up, what Saturday's attack means for the future of Palestinians and for Israelis. Peter, you say what happened on Saturday is going to transform the way Israel and maybe the world approach these questions of Palestinian statehood and Palestinian rights. But you know, it's decades of violence and the failure to find a political solution that's ultimately gotten us to this point. And I wonder if there's any chance that the lessons the world draws from these terrible, appalling events at the weekend is that ultimately in this fight, More war and more violence is not going to end it.
3: I mean, sadly, I think the lessons that I think we're going to see are are not good ones. This is going to really, really, really hurt the Palestinians more than it's going to hurt anyone else. I mean, this is going to lead to more isolation for the Palestinian case. Will people draw the lessons that I personally think that they should draw from it, which is that you cannot have meaningful peace processes in the wider Middle East while sidelining Palestinian national ambitions, which is what has been happening since the trump, trump administration and i 'm afraid to say during the Biden administration I mean ultimately, you just end up constantly circling back to the point that here is this large group of people who have entirely legitimate national aspirations you know who have suffered under decades of occupation who have seen decades of different kinds of war most of whom, when you meet them want to get on you know live prosperous lives and send their kids to school and be part of the wider world as as part of a Palestinian state, we keep moving further and further away from kind of ways of of talking about the legitimacy of that ambition and i 'm afraid to say i mean Hamas 's actions on Saturday massively undermining for, for that aspiration, massively undermining, because all it does is, in, in too many people's minds, it just sort of says there is no difference between wider Palestinian society and Hamas. And in reality, there there is a huge difference. Hamas does not represent Palestinian society as a whole, and we should never forget that.
1: And what about for Israel and Israelis. We talk about Saturday as a day when everything changed. What does that country look like going forward?
3: I mean, all I can describe is, is something that I've only ever seen once before, and that was after 9-11 in the US. And that is a profound shaking of people's confidence in themselves. I mean, you know, one one friend said to me that, you know, they thought that security was a given that it was promised that, that this was kind of one of the building blocks of, of life in Israel is the the government would be sufficiently competent to protect you against this kind of absolute horror and talking about how it made them wonder about everything you know what does this mean you know does is everything we've been told about what we've achieved and who we are what's true and that 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 strikes me as going to trigger a moment of national introspection and debate about what Israel means you know what what can they trust and I think for for what feels like a very worn out and kind of discredited political period of over which you know Benjamin Netanyahu has presided in recent years that it feels as though It will shock it into some new shape, but I don't know what kind of new shape. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you.
1: That was Peter Beaumont, whose work is at our website, along with the reporting of the whole Guardian team on this story, including Bethan McKernan, our Jerusalem correspondent, who's on the ground. Just as we're posting this episode, a Hamas spokesman has warned that if Israel continues to bomb civilian houses in Gaza, Hamas will start executing hostages and broadcasting it on TV. This story is moving so fast and will keep changing. So to stay across the latest, go to The Guardian's live blog, which is going to be running throughout the next days at least. All the newest updates will be there. And that is it for tonight. This episode was produced by Natalie Ktena and Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers were Homa Khalili and Phil Maynard. And we'll be back, as usual, tomorrow morning.
0: A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.
2: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time.